Good evening. Thank you all for coming. Today we're going to be talking about some subjects that are a little less than exciting. But they need to be talked about, they need to be discussed, and they need to be brought out in the open because nobody else is doing that. And I'm referring specifically to a group of illnesses called chronic degenerative diseases. Now what are uh, examples of those? Well, they're basically any illness that you cannot catch by any other means. So no bacteria, no virus, no other pathogens. They just come to you like a gift. So examples of that would be arthritis, diabetes, uh, prostate problems in men, complications of menopause in women, um, arthritic conditions of all kinds, in fact, should could be labeled in that, in that category. Something you can't catch. Now, how many of you know somebody in your life <clears throat> who has diabetes? Anybody at all? See, practically everyone in the audience. How about arthritis? You know any arthritics? See, and we could just go on and on. This is where the health challenge lies in America and, in fact, in all industrialized nations. Infectious disease obviously still exists. But it, it, is, it has been curtailed greatly by the uh, uh, efforts of allopathic or modern medicine. But it has been replaced by something far more insidious than infectious disease. It's, it's a group of illnesses that have a shroud of mystery around them. They just arrive. You're living your life and everything's going well and you're happy. And you don't feel well one day and you don't feel well the next day, so you make an appointment, go to the doctor, and he does some blood work, and he says, well, gee, your blood sugar is 450. I'm surprised you're still awake. You say, doctor, how did I get that? Well, we don't know. It just happens to some people. Well, there can be nothing more frustrating than trying to avoid an illness that you know nothing about. So today we're going to talk about these illnesses, we're going to pick a few of them. And we're going to talk about, number one, how they arrive in people's lives. Number two, how you can prevent that horrible event from occurring. And number three, if the event has already taken place, what you can do to better manage it or even possibly reverse it. So, what you're going to hear today is going to be slightly different than you may have heard from your physician, nurse practitioner, dietitian, and so forth. Because I'm going to be coming at this from a viewpoint of biochemistry, which is my background. So I'm not going to be coming at this necessarily from the drug angle. I'm going to be coming at this from the more holistic angle, uh, the, the angle of uh, the body is well. It wants to be well. So how can we help the body to achieve its ultimate goal, and that is to provide us with wellness? So let us proceed and see what happens. According to the United States Congress, uh, up to 90% of these chronic, non-infectious, non-contagious diseases could be prevented by taking dietary supplements and getting regular exercise. Now, how could something so simple be so effective? Number one. Number two, how could something so simple uh, evade millions of people? Because we assume that we will always be well. That's why talking to audiences of younger people is often frustrating. It's the audience I really want to reach, but it's oftentimes very frustrating. Why? Because they're invincible, or they think they are. 
And you got to get them at about 40, and then they start to realize that, in fact, they are not invincible. And uh, what they used to bounce back from night after night now takes all week. And then we began to get their attention. Uh, but unfortunately, now we've got two decades of abuse under their belt, and it, it's not as easy as it would have been a decade ago. Those of you who have interacted with the medical profession to any degree real, may realize that medicine, at least in this country, has changed in many ways. Uh, not all for the better. Um, I can remember when I was a little kid, the doctor would come to the house when, when the kids were sick. I can remember when you went to the doctor, you actually saw the same guy twice. Now you go to these big conglomerate buildings with 15, 20 physicians, and you see whoever's available, basically. So it's becoming more and more impersonal. The second thing is you may have noticed that medicine, in general, has become increasingly drug-driven. It's almost impossible to go to a physician for any reason and not leave without drugs. You go to a, you go to a physician because you have an ingrown toenail really hurts, hard to walk. What you should get is a box of Epsom salts and a tub of hot water. What do you get? Antibiotics for a week. And the constant use and abuse of these drugs has made them increasingly ineffective and created a whole host of other health problems, as we'll see in a little while. And because of this emphasis, this fanaticism upon pharmacology, medicine has become increasingly dangerous. Um, if you ever watch primetime TV at night, uh, you'll start to see ads every evening for drugs. Now, that's just been in the last decade or so, but 20, 30 years ago, I said, you wait one day. One day. They're going to stop advertising cigarettes, and they're going to start advertising drugs. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and if you notice, they always make these things so romantic. And there's always a field of poppies or palms or, or somebody's tossing and turning, and this butterfly flies in the window and kisses her on the cheek. Boom, out she goes, right? Then at the very end, they get the race, the, ra the horse race guy to come in, the auctioneer, and he gives you in eight seconds the 50 side effects, including death, that can occur if you use this medication. But they try to do it fast enough so that you don't notice. Well, because of this ever-increasing desire, almost desperation by the pharmaceutical industry to find drugs that will control chronic disease. That's, that's the problem. Uh, infectious disease, easy, but chronic disease. Um, they keep making more and more deadly compounds that have ever-increasing side effects. You know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. If you get something that takes your problem away in 24 hours, there's going to be a price to pay for that privilege. And it, how severe that price is really depends on your biochemistry and a little luck. But in the United States alone, as, million, as many as 2 million people are hospitalized every single year due to the adverse side effects of prescription drugs. These are not the drugs you buy behind 7-Eleven. These are not uh, uh, ones that you stole from your friend. These are ones that were given to you by a physician in the hopes that they would I improve your problem. Two million people. And of those two million people, approximately, and it varies by only a few thousand every year, 140,000 of these people don't go home. They die, uh, uh, mostly from anaphylactic shock from the drug, but not always. And so if you take the figure of 140,000 people, 
that die from these drugs every year. And you factor that into all the other reasons why we kick off prematurely. Heart disease is number one cause of death. We'll talk about that in a minute. Cancer and so down the line. It makes prescription drugs in America taken as directed the fifth leading cause of death. That's disturbing to me uh, because that situation is not likely to improve. It's going to get worse because we, uh, and it's not just the physician's fault. I mean, we, we, the buck stops with them, but it's not just their fault. They have to follow a specific protocol legally. Um, it, what about us patients? You know, hey, I got an insurance card. Give me drugs. We want drugs. We like them. We call our friends and say, you wouldn't believe what I get to take. We love that stuff. It makes us feel special. It makes us feel wanted. Until the side effects begin, of course. Now, if all of these drugs and all of these increased risks and side effects and mortality rate, which is continually going up, all of that you might be able to justify if, if the results were there. But they're not. Virtually every one of these chronic degenerative diseases are just as frequent and just as, as, as deadly as they were before all of this was developed. Heart disease. It's still, still the number one cause of death in America. In spite of uh, low cholesterol medications, antiarrhythmia medications, antihypertension medications, bypass surgery, uh, stints, all these weird and wonderful things that medicine has come up with in an attempt to manage heart disease, more people die of heart disease today than at any other time in history. It has made virtually no difference. Let's look at some of these other things. There's heart disease. Someone dies from heart disease every 60 seconds in the U.S. alone. Osteoporosis, <clears throat> that's bone loss. 24 million people have been diagnosed with osteoporosis. Within the next decade, that will jump to at least 50% more, at least. See, because chronic diseases tend to show up after we abused ourselves for decades. So as more and more of us baby boomers are entering the golden years, and for most of us they're not very golden, but anyway, um, we enter the golden years, uh, we're, we're the chances of us falling victim to these chronic conditions increase. So we're going to expect to see epidemics in every one of these areas. Arthritis. By 2015, it is estimated that the figure of arthritic, osteoinflammatory, common arthritis, 70 million people, diagnosed. Now, you have to understand that lots of people suffer with these things in silence and don't get diagnosed at all. So these figures are actually extremely conservative. And, of course, the one that disturbs me the most, which is type 2 diabetes. And the reason why this disturbs me is not only the fact that it is the most rapidly rising, most epidemic disease in industrialized nations, it is almost totally preventable, as opposed to some of these other things. And that's what disturbs me, because here we have something that is, is, is just running rampant through our society at literally every age group now. See, we used to call this adult onset diabetes type 2. And when I was uh, in private practice in the 90s, I never saw a patient with type 2 diabetes under the age of 50. Today, the most epidemic age group of type 2 diabetes is between 16 and 24 years of age. And there's a whole host of reasons for that, and we'll get into that a little later. But it is absolutely out of control. Now, I happen to have gotten into alternative medicine 
because of this particular illness, because it just so happens that it runs in my family genetically. Um, virtually everyone that I can remember on my maternal side of the family died from complications of diabetes. So at some point in time, I decided, well, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I ought to figure out why these people are all dropping off because I don't want it. I don't want to do that necessarily. And that led to me to one thing, to another, to another. Well, eventually I found a physician, and really nice man. And uh, my blood markers were a little high, as I expected them to be, because, you know, I got, I got, the, I got, the, I got the chromosomes, so I'm stuck with them. Um, and he says, well, we might want to think about doing this and putting you on metformin and doing this and doing that. And I said, well, why would we want to do that? Well, just to make sure that the situation doesn't get any worse. So I asked him a rather, I suppose, a rather blunt question. I asked him, how many diabetic patients does he have in his practice? And he said, probably 300. And I said, well, how many of those have you succeeded in getting well? And he said, well, none of them. He says, once you have diabetes, that's it. We just manage it. I said, okay, so let me get this straight. You've got 300 patients that you're unable to really help, and you want me to follow the same program. No, I'll see you. And that was 25 years ago. And with a bit of luck, I'll still be diabetes-free at the next physical. Um, and I'm going to share with you how you, can, how you can do that for people you know. All right. What we need to understand at the outset is that all of these chronic degenerative diseases are caused by an imbalance of the body chemistry. And all chemical imbalances are nutrition-related. I have lectured for people for 25-plus years, to tens of thousands of people around the world, and I've never met anybody who had a drug deficiency. Not one. But I meet people all the time who have multiple nutrient deficiencies for years or decades of time. Because nutrients, whether we're talking about vitamins, minerals, amino acids, phytonutrients, fatty acids, those are what we call the chemicals of life. That's what your body needs to take care of you. And we erroneously assume that we're getting that from the so-called standard American diet. Standard American diet, we abbreviate SAD, S-A-D. Um, and it truly is. Uh, because it, it, it is responsible for the death of more people than all substance abuse combined through obesity, through chronic uh, ongoing nutrient deficiencies, more people ultimately die from the standard American diet than all other drug abuse combined. And I consider the standard American diet drug abuse because it's so awful. All right, before we dive into a couple of these and take a little closer look at a couple of these health challenges that may affect you or someone you know, let's just review what is missing from your doctor's education. Now, a lot of people say, well, you're just anti-medicine. I'm not. I'm not. It has its place. If I cross a busy street and get hit by a car, I'm going to be really glad there's an emergency room and a vehicle to take me there. Eh? If I get a terrible infectious disease, I'm going to be glad that somebody knows how to deal with that problem and gives me the right antibiotic and the right antiviral and actually saves my life. But when the same medical model, which is what you're looking at right now, is applied to chronic degenerative disease, it has over and over and over failed. So while I say every form of health care has its place, 
The danger, in my opinion, lies because medicine has, allopathic medicine, has created for itself a virtual monopoly. And they have spent decades and tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars, to ensure their monopoly. Uh, I can remember when they tried to drive the chiropractic profession completely out of the United States and almost succeeded. Uh, acupuncturists took them years to get a license. Even, even a board, a license board set up for examination because there was so much opposition to any form of health care or support or wellness care other than allopathic medicine. And that's not to say that I'm against it. It has its place. It just, they just need to learn to share a little bit, that's all. So, let's take a look at this. Doctors learn to do three basic things. The first thing they do is learn to diagnose disease. And that's the most important thing because nobody can help you unless we know what's wrong with you. It's very important to have an accurate diagnosis of your problem. Can you imagine if you didn't? Imagine if the doctor messes up, right? So he misdiagnoses you. Now you're being treated for something you do not have, and you're not being treated for something you do have, and you have two problems instead of one. So it's very important that that physician be able to accurately diagnose you. And that's not an easy task. I mean, people come into doctor's offices with all kinds of weird and bizarre things wrong with them. And try to unwrap all that and figure out what might, in fact, be the cause of that is a monumentous task, and one for which they spend the majority of their years at medical school learning to do. So now once they have the diagnosis established, they move to the second phase, which of course is prescribed drugs. And that is becoming the, the, the absolute focal point for every healthcare issue uh, in allopathic medicine. We're going to drug you. And it's not their fault, it's also our fault. We go there with our insurance card and wave it at them, you know, I want some drugs. Well, when the drugs don't work anymore, or there are no drugs for your problem, then they move to the third phase and perform surgery. Right? Now, they might know what they're doing. That would be a specific surgical procedure. They're going in to remove your gallbladder or what, whatever. But if they don't really know what's wrong with you, that's called exploratory surgery. And what they do is cut you open and dig around. And they try to find some reason why you're miserable. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. And that's pretty much the way uh, medicine looks at these things, uh, looks at you. Um, it looks at you in those three phases. And again, that's all right for emergency procedures, acute problems, and so forth. But when we apply this medical model to a chronic degenerative disease, things go awry. Let's just take arthritis. Most of you indicated you know somebody with a little arthritis. It's like being a little pregnant. Either you have arthritis or you don't have it, okay? Um, so let's say this individual has got this hip that bothers her. Oh, awful, getting steadily worse. So she says, well, I, I, you know, I, I'm covered. I, I got this insurance card. Maybe I ought to make an appointment and go and see what's wrong with me. So she does. She goes in. She makes an appointment. Doctor takes some blood, pokes and prods, says, come back in a week. You come back, and he says, I got great news for you. You've got common osteoinflammatory arthritis. Millions of people have this problem. So don't worry about a thing. We know exactly how to take care of this problem. You know those pills you've been taking for that hip? You know how it says on the bottle, don't exceed four a day? Well, I want you to take four twice a day. Really? Yes, trust me, I'm your doctor. It'll be fine. So you do. And he's right. Hip doesn't hurt anymore. 
Ah, glorious. Six months goes by. Oh, wonder what's wrong. It's back again. Back to the doctor. He says, hey, yeah, I was afraid of that. He said, I'm going to write you a prescription. See, now we're down to the second phase. Okay. Now, this is a little bit stronger than what you've been taking. So you can only take one every 12 hours. If you take more, you may go somewhere you don't know how to get back from. So uh, just take one every 12 hours. And you do, and lo and behold, feels great again. Year goes by, oh, no. Goes back to the doctor. The doctor says, well, so I can't give you any more of this stuff. You know, you're like at your threshold. So he says, we better do an x-ray. So he x-rays the hip, and he finds out, oh, yeah, all the cartilage is gone now. Now you got bone on bone. Well, we're going to have to move to that third phase, and we're going to have to consider giving you a plastic hip replacement. Now, initially, you may not find that very romantic, but another few months of pain, and you will sign the slip, and you'll go under, and, and that'll be it. And when you wake up, and you heal from the surgery, and you start to walk again, and the clicking noise from the plastic parts that only you can hear in your head no longer disturbs you, your life will go back to almost normal until the other hip starts to go. And then it's the right shoulder and the left knee because you see there's no such thing as a little arthritis. It is a systemic disorder caused by a chemical imbalance. And unless that chemical balance is addressed, it will continue to progress. And by the way, everything that that lady's physician did for her for the two years previous, well-meaning as he may have been, did absolutely nothing to prevent the progression of her disease. All it did was cover up her discomfort so she could square dance on her hip and further deteriorate the cartilage, knowing full well that eventually she would make her way through the standard medical model. So we're going to look at some of these chronic diseases and we're going to look at them in a little different light.